Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Law School Lounge podcast. This is a Carolina Academic Press production where we discuss everything law school. The Law School Lounge is a place for students and faculty alike to discuss law school and the law. We hope you'll hang out with us for a while. Hello, loungers. This is your host, Crystal Norton. Thank you so much for joining us this week as we kick off a new year. 2023 saw the start of the Law School Lounge, and I can't thank you enough for being here with us throughout that journey. If you don't already, please give us a follow on Spotify, X, and Instagram. I know I don't usually put this at the front of the episode, but I just want you to know it's so important for us. It really helps get word out about the podcast, and it just means a lot in showing your support. So if you wouldn't mind, I would really, really be forever grateful. And as a quick note on what is to come and what you listeners can expect in 2024, we will continue to offer thought-provoking conversations with our Carolina Academic Press authors who are standouts in their fields. We'll continue to converse about current topics in such a way that anyone in the law school community can engage with the material. And we will continue to have episodes meant to foster skills among law faculty in the classroom and students navigating law school. You'll also see more hot topic episodes in your feed where I get the opportunity to ask incredible scholars about their area of expertise. These episodes are meant to help students learn about a new area of law, while also helping faculty stay current on legal issues. Law faculty will also gain some insights on what other professors are teaching in their courses and how they're doing it. While 2023 was a great year, so grateful, I I just am incredibly honored and thankful to all of our guests and listeners. I know that 2024 will only see us grow our dynamic list of content. Now, to get this started, we're kicking off 2024 with a three-part series on integrating diversity in the doctrinal classroom. For part one, I'm joined by two of the co-editors of Integrating Diversity in the Doctrinal Classroom, Inclusion and Equity in the Law School Classroom, Professor Nicole Dishlevsky of Roger Williams University School of Law, and Professor Genevieve Tung of the University of Pennsylvania Carey Law School are here to talk about why they decided to write in this area, the impetus, the purpose behind their book how this book is meant to be a resource for faculty, and overall on amplifying voices and making mistakes on this journey, something that is really at the center of a lot of questions faculty have or concerns faculty have when it comes to something like integrating diversity into coursework. Parts two and three will be available over the next two weeks, and I meet again with Nicole, and she is joined with me by two other co-editors, one each in parts two and three, to dive deeper into the book, 
points related or topics covered within the book, and just other aspects of integrating diversity into a course. Throughout this episode and the three parts, you will hear us discuss their new book, which is due out this month, January 2024, called Integrating Doctrine and Diversity Beyond the First Year. This new book offers a continued look at how law professors can integrate diversity and equity content into their upper-level law school courses. You'll also hear us mention, and we will discuss it in greater depth in other parts, the Integrating Diversity Speaker Series that's done through Roger Williams University. And this series was built off of this incredible project and these two volumes of books or these two volumes of content. A link to more series details and event recordings can be found in this episode's description. So I cannot recommend enough that you check out this series, especially if you are a faculty member who is beginning or otherwise navigating this journey at any stage. Without further ado, we really hope that you enjoy part one of integrating diversity and equity into the classroom. It's truly a very candid and humble discussion between myself, Nicole, and Genevieve. I hope that you learn something and take something away from our discussion. Enjoy, and thanks so much for being here. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Law School Lounge. This is your host, Crystal Norton, and I am joined by two wonderful co-editors and co-authors, Professor Nicole Dishlevsky and Professor Genevieve Tung, and they are here today to talk about their books about integrating doctrine and diversity into the law school curriculum. The first iteration of this book was for the first-year curriculum specifically, and they're about to come out with a book that talks about going beyond the first year, so the second year and third year curricula. Thank you so much to you both for being here. I really appreciate your time, and I look forward to talking to you today about your process and how you went about putting these books together and why you put these books together for other audiences to take a look at these really important topics. So thank you. Crystal, thank you. Um, this is like my bucket list item of being on a podcast. Um, and I am so excited this morning. Most of the podcasts I listen to are true crime podcasts and somebody gets murdered. So um, uh, I'm here. If someone gets murdered, I hope it's not me. I'm okay for it. Let's do this. I didn't even know that we had that connection because I'm also a true crime podcast buff. <laughs> and when Caroline Academic Press was like, oh, Maybe we should do a podcast. I was like, me, me, definitely me. I listened to a ton of those. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. Do you have a favorite? I have quite a few favorites. My like two that I always listen to are Small Town Murder and Wine and Crime. What about you? Well, I like the one, like the one um season arc ones where we like yeah, like serial. Yeah, where we dive like really, really deeply into something. And then I go from like very big murder crimes to like very small, like 
I don't know, was there even a crime here? But like, let's spend 20 hours of broadcasting on this. Um, I just love it all. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely one who listens to ones with a little bit of humor uh, because I need that to lighten it up a little bit for me as I'm listening to these obviously very dark topics. But I listen to any of them. So we'll have to trade some more recommendations later. It's very important. But thank you again for being here and talking about what y'all do. And if you wouldn't mind just starting out with, why did you decide on this project? Sure. So... Uh, at the time that we started on this project, I think it was about 2016, 2017, um, the, the law school that I work at, Roger Williams University School of Law, started a diversity strategic planning committee. And I was the staff representative on the committee. And I was with that committee. I'm still on the committee, but I was with that committee for a few years. And there are students on that committee. And then students that come in front of the committee and talk to us. And what I started to notice were some themes, which is that we as a law school were doing a really great job outside of the classroom, supporting students, a diversity of students. And I think we were doing a less good job in the classroom. And that's not to assign blame. That's just to say, like, it was a moment where we needed to be more self-aware and take a look at some of the ways in which we were teaching and uh, some big tweaks to the curriculum, but then some small tweaks. And so I was on this committee and I heard a couple of years in a row, students, different students saying the same thing. And I also was able to ask professors at my institution and other institutions, here's a problem. Why are we not like doing this? Like, why are we not why do not why do we not have more diversity content in our doctrinal classes? Why are we not, you know, having more frank conversations about um, pronouns? Um, so sort of diversity in the biggest sense. And the professors I spoke with at my institution, but beyond my institution, kind of came up with some themes. One sort of theme was we don't have enough time. There's an incredible amount of pressure to, especially in bar-tested classes, to graduate these students with not only the substantive knowledge to pass the bar, but the skills to be good attorneys. And it is hard to find time to add things to your already very full class. Another sort of theme that came out from these conversations was fear. I'm afraid of getting it wrong. Um, I'm afraid of standing up there and getting it wrong in front of 100 students. Um, and not knowing what to do next. And then another theme was, I don't have the resources to do this. And so I thought about this and I really felt like I don't think that I can do anything about the amount of pressure that law professors are under. I don't think I could do anything about you being afraid, but I do think that I could do something about the resources. So my first like thought was, oh, that must not really be true. Law professors, at this point, I was a staff member in the law library. Law professors have far more resources than staff do. Surely there are resources available. And so I started digging it. What resources are available for contract lawyer, for contract professors who want to integrate diversity issues and skills into their classroom? What about property professors? What about civ pro professors? And what I found was that there was content out there, but it was 
um, inconsistent, not updated, difficult to find, um, and not always user-friendly. So I thought, wow, this is something that I can do. Um, I have skills as a librarian, and I know an amazing group of librarians who might join this project where we can locate people who are doing this successfully, ask them to write essays about how they do this work, and then share it with the wider community, thereby like accomplishing Get putting making more resources on this topic, but also putting them together in an easy to use way. And so that is sort of the idea that we started with. How can we contribute to this where we're collecting this information, making it easy to use, packaged in one book, um, and not that we would write it, but that the people who are actually doing it would write it. So by professors for professors, and we sort of be the organizational structure and the conduit. One one thing that really appealed to me when Nicole pitched this project to me, uh, I had some self-doubt as a librarian. Who am I to, to step into this space? I was teaching, um, but I was a novice and I had a pretty niche area. Uh, and one thing that I thought was really innovative about the, the structure that that we were tossing around was that we would also have bibliographies in the book, that it would be a way to bring together the threads that we had seen as researchers looking at this. One of the things we, we started with was the idea that in higher ed generally, outside of the legal academy, there was a lot of thought about how, how, how will you produce graduates who are skilled at navigating a diverse world and responding to it, and how you bring threads about you know uh, social positionality into a class that is about nominally some other topic but that we, we didn't find anything that was specific to the to law teaching so how can we expand use our skills to expand the scope of what might be available package it in a way that law teachers who are reading it can can find that think about the you know the interdisciplinarity uh, aspect of it um, but not have to, to engage sort of at the at the speed that makes sense for them at, with the topics that are closest to their their teaching portfolios or or their levels of interest, and so writing a bibliography is a, I think a underappreciated form of, of legal scholarship, <laughs> and uh, let us bring in um, more voices from our what was at, at that time Nicole's and my uh, space in the academy and. Uh, bring in more voices that way as well. So, um, uh, and I thought it was a, a unique contribution to to the literature. I, I also, just to echo that, and we were able to amplify what was already out there. So we use our skills, but really the work is not only the new essays that are being created, but what's already out there was rich and amazing and so it was just about amplifying the voices of the people who are really doing this work. Well, and if you don't mind me adding to what both of you had said, you initially thought that there were these patterns, right? That there was a need to integrate skills into the curricula related to the bar exam, right? That that was part of it. And that fear was also a concern for people who would be using this book. And I think inherently by putting all these materials together you you had mentioned nicole oh you know i can't help you with those things but i think inherently by putting these materials together you automatically are helping with those things right by 
putting resources together and giving practical insights and how these goals can be accomplished, you're giving people more confidence in what they're doing and their ability to carry this out successfully in the classroom. And then on top of that, these are skills to being a good attorney, right? These are things that people who are constantly interfacing with the public, working with people who tend to be in vulnerable positions or of vulnerable populations or both, need to know skills-wise in order to be effective advocates for those populations and for their clients. And so I think you've achieved all of your goals, even if that's not what you necessarily thought you might be able to do at the outset. Yeah. And I would just add to that, I think uh, there's, a, there's a leadership piece to educate the next generation of, of legal leaders. We felt like it was very important to uh, break down, break down uh, the false dichotomy between doctrine and and the social social aspects of and, and ways that we have seen, um, for example, racism play out in in all of the facets of American law. Um, so we yeah we we felt like we, the book I guess Nicole can probably speak to this more, but we also felt that we were taking the position of we're not attempting to make the case for why this subject matter is important in the first year curriculum. Uh, we the intention was to to preach to the choir to a certain extent um rather than than spend time trying to make that case the focus is on the reader we assume the reader is is engaged and interested in doing this and just wants to do so more successfully with more confidence or simply take inspiration from what colleagues may be doing that you haven't had a venue to share up until now i think that's right i would say there was a choice of tone um, and so, and scope, we chose to not engage with the why this is important. In fact, we would have people submit their essays and the first few pages would be why this is important and we would edit it out because we're like, look, I don't want to convince you. I don't want to put ourselves in the space of having to convince people this is a good idea. We really just want to meet a need. And the need is like, if you're doing this and you're interested in other people who are doing it, or if you're even curious about doing it. Um, and I think the tone is one that is non-judgmental and non-condemning and not, hey, you have to change everything right now and decolonize the legal education. It's you might want to change everything and decolonize legal education and we can we hear some essays. But there's also, hey, you might want to just change your pedagogy a little bit to see how it works. And you there's a thing you could try this semester and see what happens. And here's an essay about how to do that. Or you might want to try a new reading or you might want to try a new pedagogical technique, which you don't have to keep if you don't like. But here's some some ways that you can try something and uh, gain some confidence. And maybe you'll learn you love that or maybe you learn you didn't, but you learn something about doing the work and that will sort of build on itself. But it's very like you need the resources. Here are the resources you're curious, here are the resources, um, but not uh, you have to do this or you're bad for not doing it or you should be doing more of it. Just like, hey, we're here. Um, and I think that that's really helpful because I think people are genuinely scared. And I think law professors are very smart um, and they also are aware of what their what their skills are and maybe what their skills aren't. 
And I think because of that, they might try to shy away from things they don't think that they're good at. Um, vulnerability doesn't tend to be a value in, in legal education. And so this, I think, allows people to get proximate with the material and diversity skills at the level which they themselves are comfortable at this point. I really appreciate the perspective there because I think anyone who is entering this sort of space for the first time probably is worried about like part of that fear st stems from being judged, right? And so eliminating that factor is important and it really makes it more open conversation to get people to engage with the material. And I could see why you wouldn't want to talk about why you're engaging in this way with students or why you would include this in the pedagogy, because that's a kind of a different book, <laughs> quite frankly. That could be a book in and of itself, right? Uh, and from my perspective, as someone who works on the acquisition side of things at Carolina Academic Press, I can say that whenever we talk to professors, especially when it comes to this whole concept of teaching books, we call them, right, how to teach well in law school or how to pursue legal education, we don't get a whole lot of, I really want a scholarly piece on this, right? They don't have time, nor do they really have the inclination. If they're already looking for it, they already know they want to do it probably, or they have a strong reason as to why they want to do something. They're more at the point where I just need to know how to do it. And I need real advice on how to accomplish what I'm trying to do. And your book does that for professors, which is really important because, you know, not just professors, but anyone who's trained in legal academia, <laughs> we're trained. We got those billable hours and we don't have enough time to be doing all this other stuff. Just tell me what I need to do so I can get it done. And your book does that really nicely. And one of my favorite things about it is that it does break it down by course, because putting this in as a way where this can be done across the board at any course is very different from how you teach these topics in relation to very specific legal issues you know you're going to cover in the first year. So I really like that you did that approach. What made you take that approach in particular? I, I think for it's this was always part of the plan. Um, I think we had always we wanted to make I speak speaking of fear, there was a little bit of uh, a, a risk calculation when we were pitching the book uh, to figure out who the audience would be and how we could create, get the most kind of bang for our investment of, of time and outreach. And because the first year curriculum is so prescribed at most institutions uh, and, and covers so much of the same ground, we felt like this was a, a tool that would be of the broadest applicability uh, and usage for teachers in the United States. So uh, we felt like that was a, a good organizing principle and uh, our goal was to offer multiple perspectives on each of those topics. And, uh, and and we were hoping that it would shake out well, and we were very fortunate that it did. Um, and so that was that was always the plan going into it. if if we did have some back and forth about, you know what what is the first year? and should we include other classes that are are mandatory uh, for JD programs like professional responsibility? And ultimately, I'm glad we kept those in reserve so we could uh, use them for a framing structure for the second book. Um, but we wanted to, I think it was a successful approach to create the broadest 
possible potential audience. So with that in mind, obviously, the title of the book starts out with integrating diversity. <laughs> so how, when you were talking to people to write essays and, and authors or even including other people, because you do have other editors on the book as well, how did you go about incorporating diversity into the perspectives within this book? So uh, I'll start with like a little behind the scenes. When the when we were really conceiving the project in the first place, we had to look at ourselves in the mirror and decide, are we the people that should be doing this? We're a predominantly white group of editors. Um, we uh, were all female and uh, most of us are law librarians, which is not a lot of diversity. And so we had a lot of conversations at the beginning. Why us? Is anyone going to listen to us? Are we authentic in, in, is this work we should be doing? And I think after a lot of conversations on that, we decided no one else is doing it. And so let us wade into this with the approach that we would uplift the voices of others and it would be less about our perspective on everything and more about the perspective of the people who submit essays. It's hard and we're uh, very sensitive to it. Like I know that I am a white lady in a diversity space and what and I am a straight white woman who is a law professor who lives in suburbia, who's heterosexual. Like I, I have a lot of privilege in me and it is like I'm, it's uncomfortable sometimes to be in the space but I I personally have come to white people have caused the problem white people need to create the solutions but that's me personally as a team I think it was a, a lot of discussions about as long as we always keep the focus on uplifting the work of others in this and that we really stick to what our skills are, that that could be an okay way to go forward. Genevieve, before I get to the submissions, you look like you want to jump in. Oh, I just wanted to, I wanted to, to add a little context to what you, when you said no one else is doing this, I, I, I would interpret that to mean no one else is doing this specific structure of the project. Obviously, there are a lot of scholars who are writing about um, kind of our themes at writ broadly, and I, I, I want to make sure we clarify that. We did feel that we were bringing our, our, our I felt very weird as a white lady and as a librarian to, to be in a space of bringing law professors information that they didn't, you know, ask me for. And I, I definitely struggled with not wanting to, to stake a position that was not mine to hold. Um, one thing that uh, was very exciting at the beginning of the project, and which has continued to be excellent uh, throughout into the second book, is uh, the process of, of delving into who are the who are the leaders in teaching this way. We we know who who is writing about it um, through their scholarship, but not everyone who who writes about issues of, of racism in taxation or, or, or in property is going to want to write a teaching essay. But learning who these leaders are and then getting to hear from them directly um, is has been 
phenomenal. And I think getting exposed to people as as teachers and scholars is is a it's been extremely <laughs> excellent for me personally. Um, and I think is a nice way to showcase um, some of the expertise that our authors have that might not be as publicly apparent compared to their scholarly output, um, which is which is easier to find. The only folks who've gotten to appreciate their teaching have been the students in their classes. So having a means to uh, to showcase that work and to, I think also since we started working on the first book, there has been uh, a lot of great other publications um, related to this topic. Um, Terry McMurtry Trubb has been uh, a, a leader writing about this. Uh, a similar theme, but a different structure. We've had so many absolutely fantastic people agree to write essays for us. It's 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 been a real privilege um, to be a part of amplifying that work and sharing that with the broader community. We did uh, assemble our author team uh, through a combination of, of general calls that would bring together people who who had an interest in teaching this or who had been teaching in this space, um, as well as d- dedicated outreach to people we knew would be amazing, um, who we already knew about from, from their writing or from kind of our, the nice thing about librarians is that they're always, they're lurking in, in the background of your law school and uh, uh, could help us make connections. So we were very, very fortunate to get a really tremendous team of people willing to to join us in this experiment, which there was no guarantee of at the at the outset. So we did absolutely want to make sure that the authors whose voices are centered in the project represented uh, diversity, kind of understood as broadly as possible um, by by race, gender, sexual orientation, uh, disability status. Uh, all, all of all of those different dimensions, um, we were absolutely thinking about uh, making making that that was in the forefront. And uh, I just want to point out, you're you're totally right, Genevieve. I, I I misspoke or I spoke. I got excited about what I was saying, and I wasn't really clear. I meant doing exactly the thing we're doing with the structure and the bibliographies, um, but. I think what just happened, although like I'm embarrassed that I misspoke, is exactly the strength of our team because Genevieve very quickly uh, unmuted herself and said like, no, Nicole, you're wrong. This is, you know, this is it. And I I think like this is like showing everybody like the process we have, which is like uh, uh, one of us can be a really big thinker on something and get really excited. And then someone else will say, yes, but have you thought about this? And someone else will say, yes, but you have you thought about this? And, oh, but I know this person. And it ends up, the end product ends up being a lot better for it. And we all come to this with our biases, some of which we are aware of and some of which we are not aware of. And the rest of us uh, point things out um, in the nicest way possible. And so uh, I feel really good about being on this team and... I also am just very grateful, like Genevieve said, to have met all the people all over the country who have uh, submitted essays. We, like, it was, like, you would get, we would put out a call and we would get emails from, like, scholars, like, scholars that we followed on Twitter, scholars that we, you know, thought were so cool and they'd email us and be like, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to submit something. 
and you thought like oh my gosh i like i just talked to the kardashians of law and um, <laughs> uh it, it's this amazing experience that like really not only knits us together as an editorial team but i am so grateful to have met the people we have met along the way and it, the the grace with which people um not only approach the topic but have approached edits and have approached timelines and have approached uh we we started a speaker series which uh i don't know if you're going to ask us about but uh, after giving us uh after submitting an essay and uh you know a year and a half later getting a book i then email these people and say and can you please spare some time to join a speaker series where I'm not going to pay you to share more of yourself. And I can't tell you how um, impactful it is to have this amazing group of people time and time again say yes when we ask for them to keep sharing of themselves. Um, two things, if I if I could just build off of what you said, Nicole. So first is that the skills you just talked about, you know, sort of the grace, the empathy, the understanding. Those are things that teachers should be doing as well, right? That faculty should be showing as well. And one thing I, because I do instructional design and I also teach, and I always tell the faculty I work with, remember that you can learn from your students too. That doesn't make you a bad professor. In fact, that makes you a much better professor. And so if your student comes to you with a constructive criticism, mind you, (laughs) emphasis on the constructive, that you should be taking those things into account and considering them wholeheartedly. And the reality is, if you're trying to switch the way you teach to incorporate many of the concepts and issues and topics and strategies that you all include in your book, you're probably going to make mistakes and you just have to handle them in the right way. And when I say probably, I mean, you're going to make mistakes (laughs) and it is what it is. You just have to be able to recognize that you're going to make mistakes and take accountability for them and handle them appropriately. And then you also mentioned, sorry, hold on. What was the last part of the thing you spoke about? The speaker series? I apologize. People being graceful. The Kardashians of Lemon. Oh, oh, the Kardashians of <laughs> Well, at this rate, Kim Kardashian might be a Kardashian of law eventually in the scholarship world. Um, Okay, so after the speaker series, you mentioned that you were asking a lot of these folks to contribute their essays and then eventually come as speakers. And one thing I talked about on this podcast with a prior guest, Katie Rose Guest-Prile, was that people who are in the space of diversity, so she herself has autism and is Um, diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but she also works with many people of color. And she was like, anytime a student had any of those concerns, that student was pointed in my direction because of my ability to convey a lived experience that others might not be able to or my ability to relate to them. And she's like, well, I totally appreciate that. And I was more than happy to do it. It is a lot of extra work, right? And it's unpaid work. And so acknowledging all of those components is so important. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. I had this experience where we we had in, in the first year of the speaker series, we did a session on making mistakes. And I invited these law professors uh, to talk about the mistakes they had made. Right. And it was wildly popular. 
it was it was about what to do when you make mistakes. But as one of the questions was like, what mistakes have you made? Okay. And then it was so popular that I just kept getting emails like throughout the summer. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to start the next year with mistakes part two. And I invited the same guest back. And someone said to me, like, I don't think that I can, like, I don't think it's a good look for my career to continue to go on your speaker series and talk about all the mistakes I've made. And I had this moment, like, where I was like, oh, duh, Nicole. Like, you have put this person in a position of having to talk about the mistakes they've made in front of, like, all of legal academia. Like, why are you doing this? And it really, the person was very kind and has joined other things. And now I make sure to only invite them on things where it's not about mistakes. But you have to remember, uh, I have to remember, this is public and people are giving not just of their wisdom, but of their wisdom born from their experience of making mistakes. And they're sharing that with everyone on, on a video that is recorded and put on YouTube. And so not only am I grateful for the time, but I am grateful for the vulnerability and for just how much bravery it takes to go out there and say, I've made mistakes. Here's how I've dealt with them. You can deal with them too. Oh, 100%. And it's not like this is a particularly forgiving group of folks. I mean, I think part of the reason why it was so popular is that it's not talked about. Like if you make mistakes, that that's not talked about. And it's, you know, the professor is always right. It's kind of really the mantra, unfortunately, in some law school, or I think that's changing, but for a very long time, right? You didn't question the professor. You just, if that's what the professor wanted, that's what you put down on the paper, whether it was right or wrong. And so, you know, that culture is kind of embedded within the legal community, whether you know, we like that or not, but it's there. Uh, did you want to add something, Genevieve? Yeah, I think getting back to your point about the service obligations that tend to fall disproportionately on colleagues of color and colleagues who are who are women or who share lived experiences with the students who are coming to them. I, I don't see, I mean, I definitely don't see this book as a, a panacea or, or a, a solution to that. But I do think that one outcome I would love to see is uh faculty who are perhaps in positions of privilege, um, who are not the ones taking on this service burden, to think critically about you know, how can I make what happens in my classroom uh, not part of the problem, um, not something that contributes to students feeling othered or unwelcome at law school. Um, not that that would take away from you know serious grappling with, with difficult issues in law, um, but to think about how, how how can I be part of a, a holistic, more inclusive curriculum uh, that where I can be in partnership with my colleagues who have different demographics or different lived experiences, and um, you know I don't I don't need to be you know I'm certainly not here to be a white savior, but I am here to be um, a, a person who is doing more good than harm and who wants to always get better and always take uh, a critical and inclusive lens to what I'm teaching and how I'm comporting myself and how I'm designing what I teach. Thank you for following up on those points, both of you, because I think 
they not only help obviously give perspective overall, but definitely perspective about what you've put together as a resource here, right? So the last thing I was hoping we could talk a little bit about was the selection process. How did you end up selecting essays? What did the editing look like? And how did you get to that final manuscript due date, <laughs> the dreaded date of all time? <laughs> well, well, as I mentioned before, we had a mix of um, folks who we did direct outreach to, um, either through personal connections or or, or network, networking amongst our, our academic community or with help from uh, our friends at CAP. Um, and uh, so the other, and, and then we also had an open call for papers. And I think that was fantastic because it allowed us to, again, as we talked about before, think about bringing diverse voices into the book and also to represent scholars at different points in their career. So we have both in the first book and in our uh, forthcoming volume, we have uh, folks who are really big names in their fields. Um, Jasmine Gonzalez Rose, Matthew Fletcher, like we have people who who are cited by other authors in the same book. And we have junior scholars who have a really kind of exciting fresh take on what they teach. And uh, people from the doctrinal faculty and people from who are, who are adjuncts who, who come in and teach experiential coursework. So uh, having that range of perspectives um, was very exciting and it feels good to work with. I mean, it's it's super flattering to get to work with a lot of these people. Um, so as I already gushed about, uh, in terms of putting how the sausage gets made, the first book was uh, in some ways, an uphill project because, of course, we entered COVID lockdowns um, in the final push to get uh, to get things done. Um, so it was due to the graciousness of our authors that we were able to make our deadlines. Um, and of course, I think there was a lot of uh, they were they were passionate about the subject matter, and that that helped. We had a lot of trial and error as we figured out the best workflow for a a geographically distributed editorial team and a geographically distributed author team. Uh, in the first book, we had authors from over 40. I think we had over, we had 40 something authors from almost as many institutions. The second book has something close to that. Um, it's slightly small. I think it's 30, 30 something. So uh, we spent a lot of time hammering out kind of the best way to uh, communicate by email um, to, to exchange drafts. We put each piece through, I, I want to say, three or four levels of review. Uh, where we would focus on kind of themes, making sure we had pieces that were in conversation, not in conversation with each other, but but perhaps bringing different lenses to the topic. So for example, if we're talking about property law, we have uh, someone who's providing an essay generally on their approach to the class, someone who's providing a case study, someone who's offering a specific exercise that they like to do, uh, so that we wouldn't have three people talking about the same lens. Um, I mean, it gets hard when you talk about a topic like civil procedure and everyone is going to start with <laughs> uh, certain foundational cases um, that, that did come up a lot in the chapter. Um, but we wanted to to make each chapter a worthwhile read ever to cover for, for people teaching that subject matter. Um, and uh, we were we got we had a great experience working with CAP, of course. Uh, we had um, great support uh, figuring out the logistics of the process, which were new to to most of us. And that was a great thing to not have to uh, to wing. Um, so yeah, we had a lot of Zoom comps. <laughs> I guess I'll wrap it up there. I would also say, uh, Genevieve glossed over this, but uh, we started before COVID and our 
workflow was impacted not only by work shutdowns and and people um, experiencing uh, getting sick or the loss of loved ones, um, but also the sort of racial reckoning of the summer of 2020. And so our we we had been working on the book for literally years before that and our deadline was like September 1st of that year oh. and we were in final edits and a quite a few of the authors of the submissions wanted to make changes based on the new realities and far be it from us to be like no <laughs> so there was also a lot of that summer of last minute uh, our deadline is coming up but we want to really allow the book to be relevant and to give authors the space they need or want at this point to update their chapters. Um, and I would also say on the editorial staff, uh, uh, on the editorial team, staff seems weird. Um, we, several of us changed jobs. Uh, so since the process started, several of us have changed jobs. Several of us have changed institutions. Uh, people have had tremendous losses in their life. Uh, it, people have moved houses. Like you, in some ways, I feel like I'm living my life with these people. Uh, like because we're we meet on a consistent schedule. And oh, look, this is me in my new office. Or here's my daughter. Or especially during COVID, we got to see the inside of everybody's homes and meet their families. And now we are forever bonded by that. Um, and so in some ways that is amazing for us, but I think it also put, it it put a lot of pressure on us to meet deadlines. And, um, some of us, Genevieve are very deadline oriented. (laughs) Um, and so it, uh, some of us, Nicole are not. Um, and so, uh, I I don't know, it was a, it's been a great experience. It's also been really stressful and harrowing at times, but I echo what Genevieve said, the staff at CAP have been really great to work with and understanding, especially like when there has been some type of freak out, um, uh, uh, it like layout in particular was like totally new to us. And so, you know, there'd be some freak outs, but you know, we, we got there and we feel really supported. God, I'm so glad to hear that. I, w- I want to say that one of the things I admire most about CAP that I can't speak to other publishers, obviously, because I only work at the one, but I appreciate how author-centered CAP is. They're very much supportive of authors. They're very much author-deferred in the sense of if you come to us and say what you were just explaining, like we've just had all of these things happen in life or the material has substantially changed since we started and we need to update it, so we need to move the deadline back, questions and things like that usually go very much that's what the author needs that's what we're going to give them we're going to make it work and that's because we trust your expertise we trust you and we're a team just like anything else and so (laughs) it's I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed working on this project as an internal team but also with with CAP that means a lot and I know that that will mean a lot to everybody at the at the company so thank you for sharing that. Well, what an incredible start to the new year and to this three-part series of interviews. 
the openness they had with sharing their thought processes and struggles with getting this project started, whether to start this project, how to structure it, why they've ended up with the choices that they did is admirable and, and so appreciated. I am so grateful that they not only were able to share these thoughts with us in this discussion and within the speaker series, but that their work has turned into an invaluable resource for all law faculty starting or navigating their journey to integrate diversity and equity into their doctrinal classes. Please make sure you join me next week for part two of this set of episodes. And of course, don't forget to grab a copy of both books available by this team of editors and their amazing, incredible contributors. Integrating Diversity in the Doctrinal Classroom, Inclusion and Equity in the Law School Classroom, as well as Integrating Doctrine and Diversity Beyond the First Year can be found on the Carolina Academic Press website. The second book in the series is due out in the next week or so. So if you don't see it on the website, just keep checking back so that you can get your copy. A link to the website is below in the description for you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for so much for being here as a past listener with us in 2023 or a new listener in 2024. We're so happy to have you here. And of course, a huge thank you to Nicole and Genevieve for joining me and for the incredible work that they've done on these projects. I hope you learned something today and we'll catch you next time. Bye.